Welcome to the Teaching Through the Eyes of Trauma podcast, where we engage and empower educators and other community leaders to view interactions with students through a trauma-informed and resilience-focused lens. This podcast will focus on providing tools and strategies that will prepare you to realize the widespread impact of trauma, to recognize signs and symptoms of trauma and toxic stress in students, to respond by fully integrating knowledge about trauma-informed and resilience-focused practices, and to seek to actively resist re-traumatization by healing first and educating always. Let's get into the conversation. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Teaching Through the Eyes of Trauma with me, Dr. Smith. Today, our topic is parenting trauma. Our essential question is, how can you resist being a source of trauma as a parent or caretaker? This podcast seeks to identify tools and strategies for adults to provide a safe space for children exposed to trauma and toxic stress while resisting re-traumatization with their actions and their words. Today, my guest is a longtime educator, Monique Irvin. Thank you, Monique Irvin, for joining me. Thank you so much, Dr. Smith, for the invite. I'm so excited. Well, I'm so glad that you had the opportunity to come onto the show. Can you please just tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your background? Yes, ma'am. I am um, Monique, as Dr. Smith has stated. I am a longtime educator. I have been in education for about 15 years now. I am a classroom teacher. I taught first, second, and third grade students um, in a lower socioeconomic um, environment. I mm-hmm. was able and blessed to teach in an environment where I was raised or reared in, on the east side of Fort Worth. So I'm so excited about that. I am now a uh, district instructional coach where, um, of course, literacy is my first love and I can push that uh, for the children of my community. Wow. Well, I appreciate you being here. I really do. And I, I know that your background and your wealth of knowledge will will prove to be beneficial in this conversation. So let's get into it. A, a little bit of background about what we're talking about. We're talking about not only parenting trauma, but how you as a parent can cause trauma in your child, right? Yes. And so experiencing trauma, especially during childhood, significantly increases the risk of serious health problems. So that's including chronic lung, heart, and liver disease, as well as depression and anxiety. And this also attributes to risky behaviors in children. So that's like activities where they can get sexually transmitted diseases, the use of tobacco, alcohol, and drug abuse. And so addressing parents with this knowledge, the burden of being trauma-informed does not just lie with educators. It also lies, you know, with, with these parents. And so looking not only at the student's behavior, at your child's behavior, and what it's telling you, but also noticing how the way you parent elicits a certain behavioral response. So you cannot expect to raise children who are calm and gentle if you are not. That's just fact, right? And we see that every day. Parents' actions, their words, their behaviors are the blueprint of who they will become. And so have you noticed that with, with the students that you've been experienced with? 
Yes, yes, of course I have. As I stated, I uh, was blessed to go back and teach in the area and the community where um, I was um, raised. I taught right down the street from the high school where I graduated from, and I was able to teach students who look exactly like me. I was able to teach um, some students that uh, from parents that I went to school with. I went to school with their parents. So I was able to teach those students. So um, it was just an exceptional experience. But I will say, um, as we state all the time, students cannot come to school and leave everything at the door. Now, right. we, we most of the time ask for the teachers or educators or just people, even if you're in corporate, we ask you to come to work. And we say, mm -hmm. when you come to work, we need you to be professional, leave it at the door. And the funny thing is, most adults cannot do that. So when we ask children to do that, mm -hmm. it's kind of like what in the world you know that they cannot because their home life is so important to what they do in school and the actions and um how they respond throughout the day absolutely and also letting them know that it's okay to feel feelings right because feelings are normal it's okay to be angry to be sad to be annoyed because those are human emotions so oftentimes when kids come to school like that they're punished for being human they're not allowed to have a grumpy mood. You know, they're not allowed to have a bad attitude or disrespectful tone or bad days. Yet we as adults have them all the time. And so yes. as parents, we can't hold them to a higher standard than we can attain ourselves. You know, mm -hmm. we have to show them how to behaviorally respond when we have those feelings and then be able to self-regulate when those emotions become too much to bear. Yes, yes. And that's truly, I believe, something that we as parents have to teach first. We put so much on the teacher and on the um, administration, yes. or, or as we always say, the school district. Parenting has to start at home. Parents, mother, father, grandparents, probably in some situations, aunts and uncles, you mm -hmm. are that child's first teacher. Absolutely. The first teacher. So that has to start at home. And when the, the student doesn't have that, of course, they come to school with a great deficit. And that's mm -hmm. a gap. Before we even get into academic um, gaps and academic things that the, t the student will need, that's a gap that now the teacher, the counselor, administration, now we have to try to go mm -hmm. in and fill. Absolutely. And then some of the most important things that I would say that parents can communicate to children um, is that most of their mistakes are fixable. You know, there's oh, yeah. nothing that they could do to where it would take my love away from you or that mm -hmm. would push me away from you or make you any less lovable. Mm -hmm. And if they communicate that to the child when they're at home, then when they come to school, they won't have these, these big gigantic emotions when they make a mistake as though, yes. you know, there's nothing that's, that they can come back from. Yes. And yes. so I think we take the way we are parented. Yes. I heard that the way that we are parented, we turn and that's how we partner, if that makes sense. And so if we are parenting and we're yelling at our child or we're consistently overcritical of our children, if we refuse to listen to them when they express their feelings to us and we get upset when they express their feelings because it makes us feel as though we're not being a good parent or if we walk out of the room when they're when they are expressing their feelings, then they turn and they partner that way. And so when I say partner, mm -hmm. I mean relationships um and not even just romantic relationships but when they partner in the classroom mm -hmm. if you are overly critical of them when they're doing something if you're yelling at them if you are not allowing them to speak then they're going to mm -hmm. do that when they're partnering in the classroom or yes. when they have you know when they have a friendship even in friendship relationships and so mm -hmm. 
you your relationship with your child is the first example of how to be relational with people mm-hmm. and so i think and that's what i meant when i say the way you're parented is the way you partner mm-hmm. oh yeah so go ahead i can definitely agree with that um because students as as we you know as an educator they mimic what they see at home mm-hmm. So when they come to school and so many times teachers, we need that uh, extra training to identify it and to not get into those power struggles that we most of the time do when Mm -hmm. we're uh, young in education. But do not allow yourself to get into those power struggles with children because they are just simply mimicking what they see at home. Absolutely. They're coming to school with the set of skills that their parents or their grandparents or their aunt, uncle, whomever is raising them. um, That's what they're coming to school with. So we have to guide based on that, not on a personal level as an educator. And we have to have that understanding that the the child is just pretty much mimicking or exhibiting what he sees at home. So it's so important for the educator, the teacher to see that. And it's very important for the parent to identify, understand that so we can kind of change our mindset and our frame of parents and the student. Oh, absolutely. So that reminded me, you know, a lot of times the children will act out and then you call the parents and they'll say they don't do that at home. You know, I don't know where they got that from. Mm -hmm. And there was one particular time where a student continued to curse in the class. And I was like, okay, you know, you're not going to use that language in my Mm -hmm. classroom. And I called his mother and she was like, he doesn't cuss. I don't know where he would get that from. You know, we don't cuss in our house. And this and that. And I said, I'm not saying that you curse in your house, but what I'm saying is I'm asking that you tell him not to do that here in my classroom. Mm-hmm. And then another time he refused to do what I asked him to do in the classroom. So I had called the mother and she said, let me talk to him. And so I said, he can hear you because she was on speakerphone. Right. And she said, baby, do what that B tells you to do before I have to cuss her out. <sighs> and so I said, you know, I can hear you. Right. And then I said, it's so funny to me how you Last week, we're telling me that he doesn't curse at home and you wouldn't know where he would get that from because y'all don't curse in front of him. Y'all don't curse at home. Mm -hmm. And it's like whatever you are pouring into him, whatever you are doing in front of him, that comes with them to school. You know, that follows them to school. So we can absolutely, as educators, see how Mm -hmm. they're being parented by their behavior in the classroom. Yes, yes, most definitely. The children, one thing about children, um, they're real. They don't know how to kind of fake the phone at first. They're going to do exactly what you teach them to do. And that's in the classroom or from home. They are going to, they are trainable. They are, they soak up everything as we say, like a sponge. So whatever they're around, it's going to come out of them. Absolutely. And not only what you say to them, but how, what you provide for them. Right. So we were talking about um, earlier Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, we had the conversation before we got on and, it's funny to me how, although these are the needs that, that students need and that we're, we're focusing on, you have to, you know, Maslow before you bloom at school, which is putting basically the responsibility on the teachers and on the educators, but it should be on the parents as well at home, right? And yes, so the base of that is the physiological needs. So food, water, warmth, and rest, providing mm-hmm. that for students. Because until you provide that basic level of need, then they can't go up on the 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 tier right and then the next one is safety so emotional intellectual security 
then love and belonging. So providing that friendship or that sense of connection with your children and then mm -hmm. esteem. So respect status, recognizing them and pouring into them to build their self-esteem. And then finally self-actualization. So that's achieving their full potential in school. So they're not even able to achieve their full potential in school until you've met those other basic needs. And it's funny to me how physiological needs is at the bottom. And one thing that we don't, as parents, I don't think our children's parents recognize is that need for rest oh, yes. and warmth. Mm -hmm. I had a student in class whose mother, I don't know what they did for a living, but they worked late at night. And so when she would come home at two and three o'clock in the morning, if she was upset from the day that she had at work, she would wake him up and say, go wash the dishes or come clean out my room, come clean out my closet mm -hmm. or go wash clothes, you know, wake him out of his sleep to do labor and then go off on him as he's doing labor. And so when he gets to school, he is extremely tired. And so how is he expected to do work and to reach that self-actualization where he's achieving his full potential and he hasn't had rest, that basic need of rest he hasn't had. And so it came mm. to a point where I was like, if I have to give him 30 minutes to sleep in the morning, I'm going to do that, you know, because he's not going to be able to perform mm -hmm. unless he has that basic need met. That's it. They can't, they cannot, they cannot. And I have uh, Dr. Smith so many stories as I know you do of students that we have to go over and beyond to help once we build that relationship and we get kind of uh, inter thought or inter eye into what's really going on in their lives. I, of course, mm -hmm. had a little first grade student who you could tell was neglected because a lot of this is borderline abuse. Let me just say that too. Okay. Yes. It's neglect. I mean, you are a parent. You chose to have that child. You chose to keep that child. So we as parents have to step up and we need to do some type of maybe training. This is probably a little off, but some type of training for our parents to to really give them the, the mass low hierarchy or pyramid so they can know this is what we need you to do for your child before Absolutely. they even come to school. Okay, we might have to start pushing out these types of training to our parents because the world is just changing. It's not the way it used to be in 81 when I was born and my grandparents helped raise me and my mom was there. And if she wasn't there, I had an auntie I could go to. We just don't have that too much anymore. So we might have to get out here and do some extra training. But I will say um, the student that I had, of course, and they teach us this as teachers, specialist teacher, teachers in a different demographic or population serving a different student, right? Um, just those different populations that students will come to school hungry. They will come to school tired. They will come to school where they need a change of clothes because they have not been um, kept or they, they need to take a bath. Things of that nature. I've had that within my classroom and one little, little boy, so sweet, but would come to school pretty much neglected, dirt, same clothes he had on yesterday, same shoes with no socks, need to wash his face, need to eat. I mean, you name it. You can, you can look at the little baby and tell. He had a smell because of his home life. And I had mm -hmm. to take it um, not just upon myself, but as the village of the school, I was just blessed to be at a great school where we all came together for these children, for our children. And we had to help in any way possible. And I had to make sure that little baby took um, the little washcloth I gave him, his toothbrush. He had a whole box like he was going to another house coming to my classroom. He wow. had two clothes, he had a, a washcloth and a toothbrush and a little brush to brush his hair. 
And he knew, go into the restroom, do what you need to do, come on out. And if he was, you know, tired during the lesson and he fell asleep, I wouldn't bother him. I would set a little timer or something in my mind and know, okay, I'm going to let him sleep by 15 minutes and he got to get up. And I got to, you know, he got to get the work done. And we were able to have a breakfast, breakfast in the classroom. I know a lot of districts are going to this because it's needed. Students have to have something to eat that goes back to the physiological need. They need food. So we're starting to do breakfast in the classroom because students were getting to school so late. That's another thing. They don't get them there on time most of the time, the parents. So uh, he was coming late, and yeah. luckily we still have breakfast in the classroom, so he could even eat when he arrived. After he did his little change of clothes and, or his r- ritual that we set out for him, he had to um, eat his breakfast and start from there. And the safety part, which was the next higher, the next uh, block on the pyramid or up the hierarchy, it was just letting him know this is a safe place. I'm doing this because I want you to grow. I want you to, to succeed and you will succeed mm-hmm. and you can't do this. But I also had to let the students in the room know we're not going to point and laugh. You got to also dispel all of that. Yes. Because you know, those students see that. They see it. And I had to show them you're going to have compassion for your neighbor. This could be you. Half of you. We're all in the same boat. So I had to let him know that you are safe here. This is your family. Let's do what we need to do. And uh, send him off, you know, with those clothes half the time. We didn't get them back. But we have to do all of that before we even touch the academic portion. Absolutely. Because if that student is not cared for, as you said, if they're not getting the rest that they need, they cannot perform. There, Absolutely. There's no way. There's no and way. Think about all of the things that you just mentioned. If you don't have an educator or a teacher that is trauma informed, and so there will be so many ways that that child could have been triggered from the neglect and the abuse at home, just in simple conversation with students in their class, right? Or in simple Mm -hmm. activities in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't understand that, or if you're not curious enough to look into the background of that child and what they've experienced, then that child could go through so many emotional issues and and not be regulated in the classroom, which could absolutely um, tear up the classroom environment, right? Especially if they have an episode or something during what's supposed to be a lesson. And oh, so yeah. I think it starts at home. If parents are not trauma informed, if parents are not being curious enough to say, what is happening to my child? What is their behavior saying to me? Mm-hmm. And what is it saying that I'm doing to them? Like, what am I contributing to their behavior for them yes. to act like that? So yes. I have a, this um, this poem, well, not really a poem, but I have this, this um, note here. It's called Break the Generational Curse, right? So I wanted okay. to read this real quick because I really feel like this is, is some pertinent information for parents, especially parents who are uh, parenting children who are going into the school systems, right? And who they want to be successful in the school systems, but are not really giving them um, a foundation to be successful. And so it's called Breaking the Generational Curse. Quit yelling at your kids before they go to bed and expect them to sleep well. Quit yelling at your kids in the morning right after they wake up before school and expect them to have a good day. You set the tone for your children. You set the tone for your voice that they will always remember in their heads. You become their inner voice. Don't be that voice of inner critic. Speak life. Speak love. Speak bravery and kindness and hope. Speak wisdom and truth. But most of all, listen to your children. And I love this because when it ends and says listen to your children, it doesn't necessarily mean what they say 
but listening to what they don't say, what their mm-hmm. behavior communicates to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and by listening to that, that's their communication to you on what it is that they need from you. Yes, yes. They show you what they need from you. Mm -hmm. They most definitely do. And I I love that poem. We might need to read that one more time. I pray that we have some parents to pick up this podcast and listen to educators as well, especially Mm -hmm. new ones and maybe even the seasoned ones too. But that was a great um, just reading or uh, excerpt because we have to listen to what our children, um, they tell us. And as you stated, that they're speaking and that they're not speaking through their actions, but also come out of that kind of generation where we didn't listen to them. The kids just went home, didn't talk, do your homework, go in your room. That yeah. we have to stop that because but not heard. Yes, we have to stop that. And mm-hmm. it's so easy as a single uh, single mom. I've been divorced for about four years now, and as a single mom, my my son Elijah's seven. You you get kind of busy right? Let's, let's be real. You get busy. You come home. You got to cook. You got baseball. You got to make sure his homework is done. You got to make sure you close out for the next day. Things are just rolling, right? It's rocking and rolling. Yeah. But you have to take intentional time and say, let me stop. How was your day? What happened mm-hmm. today? Um, give me something good. What did you learn today? Or give me something that you loved about today. Just to kind of get your students talking. And mm-hmm. if you have a talker, who likes to talk? Cause sometimes my son, he does. He's not a, a great talker. He doesn't just love to talk. But sometimes he comes in and he wants to talk, and I find myself going, "Okay, you know, let, what?" <laughs> like I'm trying to get some things done, and mm-hmm. I have to stop myself. Parents, we have to self-check ourselves and say, "Let the baby talk." It's probably yes. something that they're trying to tell you that you definitely want to know that happened either at school or after school care, daycare. Anywhere they have to have, as Maslow stated on one of these uh, pyramid blocks, safety. That's part of yeah. safety. I'm yeah. able to come home and talk to my mom and dad about anything, and mm-hmm. they're going to listen to me. And then I love the the love and belonging side of the Maslow hierarchy of needs uh-huh. because I read uh, right before school started, they were talking about how you can kind of um, – you know how when you come home from work, you need that time to kind of woosah. And so you need that space of, I don't really want to talk right now, but you know, yeah. I'll talk to you later. You kind of need to decompress from the day. And so it said, if you want to, to build a connection with your children, especially about their day at school, don't just hit them right when they get in the car with, what did you learn today? You know, hit them with the love and the belonging. So it's, you know, I really missed you today while you were at school. I hope you had a great day. You know, I was hoping that you had a great day and just showing them the love and the belonging and then letting them deep compress from school. And then maybe at dinner or later in the day, that's when you, or later in the evening, that's when you ask them, you know, so what did you do today at school? What did you learn? Because now they've had that opportunity to see how much they mean to you and how much, you know, you miss them or you were thinking about them throughout the day and they've decompressed from school. And then now they're going back into the mindset of, oh, this is what I learned or this is what I did or even homework time, but just allowing them that time to decompress, but still showing them that love and belonging that they need in order to build, you know, that Mm -hmm, mm self-actualization. That's a really good point because most of the time, as I mentioned, our days are so fast and furious Monday through Friday. These are things that you don't necessarily think about. 
you just even as as a, a great parent, you're just trying to talk to each other. Okay, come on, tell me before yeah. we get to baseball. Tell me before we get here because by the time we get out of baseball, I'm not gonna remember to ask you what happened at school. <laughs> you probably <laughs> you probably won't. But just some little points of letting them know I love you. You're at home now. I missed you. Yeah. Uh, you're back. You're back with me. Um, how's everything going? You know, just it's kind of like a, a next step. I can tell when I pick up. Uh, my son from after school care, he's like, oh, because think about it, our babies have long days. I'm talking about elementary, middle, and high. They have yeah. very long days. They start off, most of them getting on the bus at seven or getting to the bus stop, and some of them at 6.45. And they yeah. don't even get home till after six. So they have 12-hour days, you know, and I can see um, my son, once I pick him up, he's just kind of like, oh, good, mommy, you here. What took you so long? He'll say that sometime and I have to tell them oh it's traffic and they kind of go through those same emotional um things that we go through yes. as, as adults and we have Absolutely. to you know um kind of give them that and, and allow them to speak on it, allow them to share their view on it because of course they're not adults but they're having those same emotion that same kind of stress thing that goes on mm -hmm. and it's it will become so much better for them in, in their academic career if we allow them to have that outlet so Absolutely. I'm happy that you said you don't have to hit them. This is just this is just research. You're stating the research, okay? You don't have to tell them, you know, first thing you get in the car, you read up on it. Maybe wait a little bit. Let them decompress. Mm -hmm. Just like I had to get in the car, put on my little music. No one was in the car talking to me yet because I hadn't picked them up. And I had a little time to decompress before, you know, someone started asking me questions. The, the student or the child needs the same thing. So Absolutely. I think that's a great point. Absolutely. And so real quick, I want to go over uh, the universal needs, which I talk a lot about on the podcast, um, okay. which is the circle of courage, right? Because I always say a, a seemingly bad child is a, a child with unmet needs and broken circles. Mm -hmm. And so the circle of courage is generosity, belonging, mastery, and independence. And it's basically a model of positive youth development that's based on the principle that to be emotionally healthy, all youth need a sense of these four things, right? A sense of belonging, a sense of mastery, a sense of independence and generosity. And I've talked about how educators can provide this for students, but mm -hmm. I want parents to know this is your first assignment because your first minister, your first teacher is your, your children, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to provide space and opportunity for these children to have these senses or have these experiences of the circle of courage. And so yeah. the is talking. Right. And so when you as a parent don't meet your child's need for belonging, they become unattached. They become guarded, rejected, lonely, isolated and distrustful. And so if you see these signs in your children or if you're an educator and you see these signs in children, that's a, a dead giveaway that they are missing that need or missing that, you know, that belonging in their life. And so they need um, you to give them those experiences. Right. So. Mm -hmm. Don't not saying as a parent, not saying things like I wish I never had kids or I could have been this. Ooh. I could have been X, Y and Z, but I had you because they don't understand what they're saying to their child. They're saying you really don't belong here. But because mm -hmm. you're here, I wasn't able to meet the, you know, the things that I was trying to do. And so saying words like that is basically stripping away their sense of belonging. Yes. Yes. And so, so go ahead. I was going to say to show children that they belong, you know, you have to get to know your child, find out their likes and their dislikes. 
you know, be continuously curious about how that child is experiencing their wor world. And then doing small things like putting pictures of them around their room or around the house to show them you belong to this house, this home community. This mm -hmm. is our community or our family and you belong here. And then when you explore what they need most to feel supported, then you provide them with that, that support and then give them positive encouragement when they're a difficult time. You know, and so I think providing that sense or that experience of belonging at home will transfer to school. You know, yes. so they won't they won't show those signs of feeling, you know, unattached or rejected from their parents. And they'll be able to to be in the school setting and also thrive there. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was going to say that is something that um, parents have to do. But what caught me first that I would like to address is the different types of talk or speech that parents do in front of their children or to mm -hmm. their children. Yeah. It is so important for you to take the negative speech or the negative talk out. Mm -hmm. um, that can be hard for some people. It could, let's just be honest. It's based on where they are in their life. Mm -hmm. If you're working two or three jobs, you don't feel like you have help from the other parent or uh, maybe the other parent is in the home and it's an abusive style relationship. Everyone, we have some different things that we go through. Nothing's um, just really painted perfectly. So mm -hmm. it depends on where you are. So if you are as a parent in that kind of situation where it's, it's a little bit tumultuous and you're thinking, honey, yeah, you could say that all day. I'm in the trenches. Well, you have to take initiative and intentionally stop the negative speak to your child. Absolutely. You have Absolutely. to, because they're not going to feel like they blown, even though we might be in a tough spot where um, sometimes I get pushed up against the wall with these finances. Bills are coming quicker than the money is coming. But I can't say, oh, you hungry again. You know, mm -hmm. you can't say that. You have to say, you know, well, yes, we're going to be fine. I'll fix you something in just a minute. You know, you have to be intentional about how we speak to our children because they're internalizing that just Absolutely. as we did when we were younger. Absolutely. And we Absolutely. don't want to carry over that same um, mindset and those same actions and that, that same habit from our parents and their parents now into our own parenting. Absolutely. So we have to be um, we have to be careful with that. But I love having the sense of belonging. Of course, it needs to start at home, but mm -hmm. starting at home where your child can see it. And hopefully it will transcend to school where they feel like they, they belong at school. But I think another point to that parents and teachers have to get together and form this force field where the, the student and the child know my mom and my teacher are going to talk. My Absolutely. dad and my teacher are going to have relationships. It's the same thing when I leave that house, when I go to that classroom. Absolutely. If you can get that bond tight, a lot of the things that go on with our students and our children at home and at school can be dismantled. Absolutely. Because the gap is that. Yeah. Absolutely. If you if they know my child right now, he knows I'm going to talk to your teacher probably once a week or twice a week. I'm going to know what's going on. So it is some things that you don't do here. Kids are kids. It's some things they don't do at home. They try at school because they saw someone do it. Well, if I'm in a communication with that teacher, my, a lot of that's going to fall off. Absolutely. That child is not going to continue to act out knowing, okay, you're going to talk to my mom. You're going to talk to my dad. Something is going to happen at home. Like y'all have this bun going on. So I need to straighten up. That's good. I love that. 
And the next one is mastery, right? So allowing children to find their niche. And when you fail as a parent to give your child the experience of mastery, they become non-achievers. They're Mm -hmm. failure oriented. So they're always saying, I can't do it. You know, they Mm -hmm. avoid risk. They fear challenges. They're unmotivated. They give up easily and they feel inadequate, right? And so to provide your child an experience of mastery, you have to first identify their potential. Find mm-hmm. out what they're good at and then provide them mul- multiple opportunities to, to show, show and recognize mm-hmm. their strength in that. And then and you encourage- might go ahead. And then encourage them to to try the some challenging tasks mm-hmm. while rooting them on and then helping them to problem solve until they master that thing. And then mm-hmm. now that becomes a new experience of mastery and then helping them to set realistic goals that they can meet. So they're continuously feeling these experiences of mastery or being really good at something. Right. And when it comes to that with your students because or with your child, because they grow at different times, all students are not the same. They're not going to grow at the same level. One thing as parents, we have to stop doing is comparing our kids to other children. Cut that out because they're going to, you know, grow and expand when they need to and the way God allows them to. So as parents, you have to first pray and ask God to give you wisdom on what your child can and can't do or maybe what they need help on. Because you know, you know your child. So asking God also to help you in that he surely will. And then once you see it, you push that with your child. You push positivity. You push mastery with your baby and let them know you can do anything that you want to do. Let's do it together. But you have to sometimes speak that into them, especially when they're young, because they they all the time, I can't read, I can't do this. But you stop that and you change that type of negative speak in the house. And then you also go to the teacher and let them know, my child is struggling in this area, but we're going to attack it together and let he or she know you're going to overcome. You're going to do this. You're going to master this. And Absolutely. then when you get on the same team, that will also become a little easier. But you have to identify it as Dr. Smith, as you pointed out, and you have to also push that positivity to them and engage them on some things that they can do and keep telling them you can do it. Can't should not be in your vocabulary right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that leads us to the next one, independence. So when you fail to give your child the experience of independence, they become submissive. They lack confidence. They're irresponsible. They show signs of helplessness, undisciplined, and then they're easily led. And so When I say submissive, meaning submissive to other students, right? So other students are leading them to do things that they know that they shouldn't do because they don't have a sense of independence. And so in order to give your child um, a sense of independence at home, you have to model decision making, right? Assist them in developing their own framework and then give them choices for activities so they have a voice, choice, and ownership. And they're able to, to recognize multiple intelligence development while they're choosing the things that they want to do. And when I say choosing the things that they want to do, I don't mean make letting them choose everything. But, you know, what I'm saying yeah. giving them choices and some things and then involving them in participatory decision making. Let Allow them to make decisions, show them that they're independent in their independent thinking and then help them to develop internal controls. Right. So they have an inner self-discipline and empowerment, or even things like allowing them, especially if they're teenagers, to set their own doctor's appointment, showing them how to do that, or showing them how to go into the store and and to pick something and actually purchase it themselves with their their money, because that's teaching them personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. That's so funny. 
letting them face the consequences of their behavior. You chose this behavior. And so now you have this consequence because you can, you can choose the behavior, but you can't necessarily choose the consequence. Right. And so when you teach them that at, at home, you're teaching them how to be an independent thinker, how to have independence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I love this one because it can go twofold. You know, mm-hmm. when you have, um, you can go either side of the track and you have those students who have to be become independent a little earlier than what they should be. <laughs> when yeah. you said having those independent choices, going to the store and buying this and buying it, I remember having to do that in the fifth grade. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, I don't know if I was supposed to be doing that then, but look what it did. <laughs> you know, it taught me uh, so much. So you can have that on both sides. You can have it where our students are coming home um, while mom and dad or who, whomever they're, they're residing with, their caregiver is at work all hours of the day, and they have to do all the independent tasks. They have to mm-hmm. be the adult. That's not, that's the end, you know, that's the other side of it. That's mm-hmm. the extreme. And so in that type of situation, you might be in that situation for a little bit as a parent, but in that situation, you need to help with monitoring. Absolutely. So, there should absolutely be a guided yeah. independence. Yes, it's like a guided independence. Mm-hmm. And then you have the other extreme, because my mind just went to both extremes, where the student is um, kind of babyfied. Maybe that's the mm-hmm. mom and daddy really doing good. You know, and they do just everything for them, as you stated. Let them have some independence. Let them choose their doctor's appointment. Let them go to the store and, and trust them to go in and buy what you need to you know what they need while you sit in the car or maybe while you stand in the store because you know folks are crazy. So you have to look at both, but you have to monitor on both ends. And then we as our culture, my mind went to this too, in the middle as the parent, culturally we control so much. We want to be in control of everything. So when I heard, you know, let them be independent, I I went back and I thought about some different cultures. They allow their students or their child to comment on where they're going to eat today, what you want to do today. They allow them to have those discussions. And I I don't remember being able to ask that when I was smaller (laughs) or even in in high school. Like they didn't ask me anything like this is what we're going to do. So I want to even change that in, um, you know, kind of in my household. That's something that I can see that I can kind of shift practice on allowing my son to be a little more independent other than chores. Now we can have some chores. We yeah. can on that. <laughs> but it's like on the conversation part on initiating things or where do you want to go maybe this weekend instead of me just saying we're going to Crayola experience. You know, where do you want to go? Having right. that on it, it, so it's I a like gradual that. release. I really think it, it's a gradual release and it teaches exactly. them to have a voice not only in what do they want to eat or what um activities yes. they want to do, but when they're told things at school, they'll be able to speak up because they've exercised their mm-hmm. independent voice, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, so and they'll I think be able just... to express themselves where where we know if a student can articulate and express their wants and desires and their needs, that's going to come out into their, um, their academic and writing. Absolutely. It comes out in another way academically, but it starts kind of in that expressive state. Absolutely. And I think it helps build their future character, right? Their future oh, selves. Yeah. As, as independent thinkers and as professionals when they get into the professional world. Mm-hmm. And so and so we're continuously talking about parenting trauma, but we're teaching you ways 
to kind of alleviate trauma that's probably already been given to them or mm-hmm. even if they've experienced a lot of trauma and toxic stress. These are ways to make sure that their needs are being met and so that their behavior doesn't signify that they've been through a lot of trauma or toxic stress. Mm-hmm. And the last need is generosity. So if you as a parent fail to give your children experiences of generosity, they'll become selfish. They'll be affectionless, narcissistic, disloyal, hardened, antisocial, and exploitative. And so now this one, to me, I feel like there are so many ways as parents we can give our children, you know, experiences of generosity by fostering cooperative interpersonal relationships, right? If they're younger, having them to have play dates or friendships or extracurricular clubs and activities, organizations that they can become a part of. And then encourage your child to be a good listener and a good communicator, because not only are they listening and taking in information, but they're also giving. They're giving of their time. They're giving of their ear and showing that I can I can listen to your needs, but I, I can also, you know, we back and forth. We have a back and forth banter and I can give you um, encouragement or information or hold you accountable because that's still generosity. You're still giving to your mm-hmm. friend or giving to, to someone else. And then providing them opportunities to do public service or volunteer work throughout mm-hmm. the community because that says, I have something to give back to my community. I have, you know, I can go and feed the homeless. I can do a clothes and shoes drives or a canned food drive. I could do something to give back to my community. And when you give your children experiences of generosity, then they grow up to be generous people. Yes. You know, and, and not selfish people. But you can tell, especially in the classroom, those children who have not had experiences of being generous because it's all about them. It's me, me, mm-hmm. me. And they become those individuals who grow up and become narcissistic husbands and narcissistic wives and mothers. And a lot of times that's been poured into them because their parents are that way. That's right. And and not only are the parents that way, the parents fail to identify the gimme, gimme, gimme from their yeah. child. Yes. Because I, I'm going to be honest with you, you're going to give your child everything you did not have. It's going yes. to happen. Okay, mm-hmm. it's just it's going to happen. I was raised just just a little differently. You know, I had my struggles just like everyone have their struggles. But thank God I made it through. But because of that kind of uh, hard little childhood, I want to do everything. I remember praying for my baby or praying for children in a marriage when I was in the fourth or fifth grade and telling, saying in prayer, I know I'm going, my child not going to have to deal with this. My Mm -hmm. child will not have to be here. So Mm -hmm. I was saying that in the fourth and fifth grade. So now that I have this baby, I'm like, oh no, whatever he needs, God, Mm -hmm. I'm going to give it to him, whatever. But God had to show me, you can't just give, give, give. What are you teaching him? Because number one, he still belongs to the father. Now, I pray that you're Christian, but he still belongs to him. We just host, we just hosted him in the back. He, he belongs to him. He's his. So he's like, I'm trusting you to um, raise the child the way I would want you to. And what are you teaching this child? Okay. So mm-hmm. with that, we have to show our children, as you stated, Dr. Smith, in the classroom, you can tell who who's not sharing they haven't been taught to share they Mm -hmm. over talk at every given moment because that's what's happening again at home they're mimicking things that they see at home and most of the time as i stayed started to say and started to say parents you just don't identify it you think Mm -hmm. just giving them everything or saying this and saying that and going kind of fly by night that you're teaching your child and you're not, you're doing them a disservice. If we don't read up on it, research and listen to podcasts, uh, podcast shows such as this one, if we don't do that, 
then we won't have that type of research that we can go back and depend on and have that that shift in our mindset. And, and it is so it is so needed. It's one thing that I uh, I did with my child, and it was because of an article that I read. This is nothing that I did growing up. Now we all know of the Goodwill bag, and you know, donated to Goodwill or Salvation Army. But as I grew up, it was only when your clothes was too little. <laughs> and most of the time, it had even holes in. Like them clothes, we probably should just throw away. But babe, we were gonna give them away. We gonna donate them, right? Because you don't throw them away. But it was never because you just trying to be nice. You know, never. It was never because of that. It was just, and and you are because you don't. You're not just throwing them away. But they were basically too look. I'm talking about too look. So. I, of course, I do that now, you know, with my son. We do a goodwill bag, and I show him, hey, you're going to have to give these away. They're too little. You need to help someone else. But what I switched on, and I saw, I read an article about this, we give out toys that are, are kind of gently used. They're not broken down. I don't give out broken toys. We're not going to do that. We're going to throw those away or buy new ones. But we do gently used toys every birthday and every Christmas for him. Instead of him just getting all this stuff, he uh, has to give the toys away. <laughs> and most of the time, if it's on his birthday and at Christmas, he's only had them a few months. I and love that. You know, well, I'm not ready. And I'm like, well, if you're not ready, you're not getting anything else because you have to give. I love that. Receiving stuff and having all this stuff kind of junking up your room. Let's go to hoarding. That's another thing. That's a whole nother <laughs> situation. You know, you teach these children, they hoarding all this stuff because you're not showing them how to be generous. And that's a whole no, other conversation. But that kind of discounts that because he don't have all that stuff in his room because we're going to give on your birthday and on Christmas. Because guess what? You're about to get two or three more toys anyway. I so love that. I love to, that. Yeah, it's time to give. And that's just, uh, and now he's to the point, he's like, mom, you know, what am I going to give away? Because Christmas is coming. What am I going to give away? Because my birthday party is coming. <laughs> and I just thank God because I'm like, Lord, I didn't even have to remind him. And that, that was something that I had to thank God. I read an article on and did the research and just actually tried it. It was nothing that I actually did, as I stated, as a child. But it was just a different frame of mind, a different mindset. And, of course, I was on Angel Tree as a child. I don't know if y'all know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> I was on Angel Tree every year, honey, because we didn't have nothing. But because of that, now I donate to Angel Tree every year. So if you were a person that was kind of recipient of these types of charitable donations or you were kind of in that limelight, then now most persons like myself, you're going to automatically want to give because you were in that trauma. You know, that, you're going to want something different. Perfect example of of giving your child multiple experiences mm -hmm. of generosity. I love that, Monique. Um, and a lot of parents, I think you can you can take a page out of her book and and you utilize these these things that she's telling you, these tools and strategies that she's telling you, because ultimately it's your responsibility as a parent. You know, mm -hmm. being trauma informed is your responsibility. And I say all the time that behavior is a response. And so the behavior that your child shows is their way of communicating with you what they need. So we must learn how to respond to them and how your child respond, how your child behaves. Being your responsibility is your ability to respond. Mm -hmm. So lastly, their behavior is not going to be perfect but it will be purposeful. And that purpose is the communication of what they need from you and how you are parenting them. 
And so embrace the imperfection and use it as a tool to help your child heal and to grow. Is there anything, any last words that you want to leave with our listeners, Monique? Yes, Dr. Smith. Thank you so much. Um, first, thank you, Dr. Smith, for having this platform. Uh, it's a wealth of information here on uh, this episode of your podcast and on uh, many that are previous to this one and those that are going to follow. So thank you again for having uh, this platform and opening up your business to help educate parents and educators. So my last thought is just you have to get to know your child. You have to take out the time to get to know your child, take out the time to self-reflect on your own childhood and things that happen um, that you might want to change and take just a quick mind shift on. You don't have to change everything. I don't believe everything we learned as, as, as kids is, is bad that we can't bring over. But some of the things that you know um, that you want to do differently or try differently based on the based on your child, number one, then based on uh, the wisdom that God gives you, and then hopefully based on some sound research. This The podcast is one. Dr. Smith has a wealth of knowledge. And so based on research and different practices that we can do to push our children forward because they can become successful and do anything that they can set their mind to. Above it all, they can do that. But they need the help from their parents in order to grow. And not just the parent knowing the student. Once you do that, I feel like it is imperative for the parents to go to the teacher. You have to partner with your child's teacher, be it elementary, middle, or and high. Our little middle school babies in high school, we just leave them out to dry. Go and parent. See who's talking to your child every day. You Absolutely. need to know. You have to know because you're doing some things at home that they need to do at school and they're um, learning and, and doing some things at school that they need to come home and show you and doing homework or um, reading, testing, whatever they need to do. They're getting that from school. They need to transfer it home. So it's like a back and forth. It's a bridge. Absolutely. So you Thank you. To, you have to connect those two pieces and have that bridge for your students to be successful, not in just elementary, but middle and high school as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for being my guest today. I really appreciate uh, your dialogue and I appreciate our conversation. Now I'm going to leave you with the teaching through the eyes of trauma takeaways. Number one, be curious. What is your child's behavior telling you about how you parent and what they need from you? Number two, work to meet that need. Number three, speak over your children. Speak mm -hmm. life, speak love, Speak bravery, kindness, hope, and positivity over your children because the way we talk to our children becomes their inner voice. Mm -hmm. Number four, be your child's safe space. Be their home. And number five, last but not least, heal first, educate always. Don't try to teach them a lesson before you have loved on them and provided a space for healing first. And so if you or your organization or your school or you as a parent would like more information, more tools and strategies or training on being trauma informed and resilience focused, please reach out to the Inner Ear Agency at I-N-N-E-R-E-A-R-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. Again, that's innerearagency.com. Thank you so much for joining us in this conversation. We'll see you next week.